0: So, curious, tonight we're going to begin our series on curious and we've decided to take some of the hot topics, some of the big issues, some of the big questions that you guys have, that culture poses, that that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Next week in our curious series, I'm going to be talking about Is the Bible reliable? We talk about in church, and you hear people say it, and we will say that we stand on the truth of God's word, that we believe that this is true from cover to cover, and this is something that we believe shapes our life because we believe the truth of it. But how can we trust that it's reliable since it's been passed down through generation to generation? How can we trust that the content of what's in here is true? How can we trust the Bible? So next week, I'm going to be doing an entire deal for you guys on why the Bible is reliable, and I'm going to be showing you guys all the evidence because the reality is there is evidence for this stuff and you go around all the time hearing people ask these questions or maybe you ask those questions yourself and you try to refute ill-equipped Christians on things that they don't know about and you don't get those answers and it builds your confidence and your belief that there is no God and that the Bible isn't true and so next week, I want to challenge you to come, and I want to challenge you to listen to the evidence that backs up the Bible, the truth of the Word of God. This isn't some blind thing that we know nothing about, because the reality is, is that we, not, we don't just hear about God through His Word, but we experience God through His work in our life as well. And that's something you cannot contradict. And then in the week after that, we're going to be talking about... Um, something that you guys can submit to us. You can go online and, and emails to students at 12stone.com or you can uh, just uh, write down on a, on a piece of paper just a question or a topic that you would like to see talked about, fold it up, drop it in a basket uh, in the back on your way out. And uh, we'll pick one of those that has a lot of things, and we'll talk about it that week. So it's kind of like your deal, what you're curious about. And then finally, the fourth week of this series, we're going to have a Q&A night where you can text in questions about anything you want to that has to do with God, that has to do with your relationships, with whatever. You can text those questions in, and we'll talk about it through a biblical worldview. And so that is what this series, series Curious, is all about. And so tonight, we're going to dive right in, and we're going to hit a heavy, big topic right off the bat. And I have my friend here, Nathaniel Flock. So y'all give it up for my friend. Tonight's conversation, tonight's conversation is, is on homosexuality. Talk about a hot topic. Talk about something that is in the media, that is in culture, that, that builds anger and frustration. And there are strong, hardcore opinions on every side of this debate. Yep. And the reality is, is that many times we can damage people based on our feelings and our thoughts, and we don't even realize we're doing it. And the reality is, is that all we do is we hear all these opinions from people. We hear opinions from media. We hear opinions from culture. We hear opinions from our parents. Opinions from our friends. Opinions about all these things. And the reality is, at the end of the day, none of those opinions matters. The only opinion that matters is God's. But what about that? I brought Nathaniel here because Nathaniel has an unbelievable testimony. So powerful. But it's believable. But it's believable. Because it happened. Because it happened. And, uh, and, and, and I want Nathaniel to share some of that with you tonight. So, Nathaniel. So, Derek. We're going to have a little conversation here. Yes, we are. And uh, so... Um, in this in this uh, kind of discussion on, on homosexuality mm-hmm. um, and and kind of down that road, um, uh, I I'll, I want to first say and just for us to make that, that open right now so that they know kind of a, a little bit of the background of that. That's something that you dealt with for you know really uh, a number of years a number of years of your life. Yeah, and uh, I I think it would be cool just to, uh, for uh, for you just to share a little bit about. Um, Kind of when you begin to experience those feelings, when things started happening down that road for you, and yeah. kind of how all that came,
1: you know, came to be within you. Sure. Yeah, and just to preface everything that I'm going to say, uh, I believe I've probably sinned more than everyone in this room combined. And so everything I'm, I'm saying is not a stone I'm throwing. I'm actually kind of laying my life bare before you. So uh, some of the things I'm going to say are going to hit a mark, may cause offense, but understand, I believe myself, like Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he said that I'm the worst of sinners, and this is the guy who's writing the scriptures that we read today. That's right. And so uh, I'm going to go and stand with Paul and say I'm the worst of sinners. Uh, I have a very sordid past, um, but the Lord, like Paul said, he, the Lord showed him mercy so that those... Who would hear his story and see the testimony of god in his life would put their hope in god hmm. and so uh, let me just preface it uh, my story with that um, so i i grew up in a christian home and uh the first time i actually had a homosexual thought was uh i remember where i was i was playing with my little star wars figurines i was like three years old and the most graphic explicit image i won't tell you what it is it's that graphic just came into my mind And I had not been exposed to pornography. I wasn't molested. And so this thought, this image, uh, was so graphic, and you would have to think I was exposed to it to some sort for me to think that, because a three-year-old doesn't know any of those things. And so uh, that, looking back on it now, uh, I would say that was when spiritual input was coming in. You know, that was not my own thought. That was a, a realm, a spirit realm that I could not see that was putting thoughts into me. And, uh, and so when I was in the lifestyle, I would look back to that moment and say, oh, well, I was born gay because my first thought was when I was three years old. But no three-year-old would have ever had that thought. So I grew up uh, actually in this area. And uh, about sixth, seventh grade, I started having uh, a clear Varying off course from attraction to, well, actually, I never really had attraction to girls. I gave girls little boxes of Valentine's, got some rejection, um, heavy rejection. girls are just jerks. It was painful. <laughs> it's not, ladies, it's not hard to break a four, fourth grader's heart. Let me just put, say it that way. And uh, so, uh, but by sixth grade, I, I had been absent. Um, or my dad had been absent from the home a lot. He was in the Air Force. He was working a civilian job. So he had tons of hours that he was away. And uh, so in the times uh, when I needed a father's affirmation, and this is no cut to my dad. My dad's an amazing man of God, and he's a prayer warrior actually for 12 Stone. And so um, I'm not cutting, you know, by any means, sure. you know, his, his paternal care. But uh, During that season of my life, it was just kind of me learning how to be a man, and I was in, you know, sixth grade. Lots of things are changing and happening. And uh, by seventh grade, actually let me tell you the the worst story of the female rejection. Um, I gave this girl a little note, and I wrote on it something like, you're really cute, I like you, you know, something cliché, bland, whatever. And uh, she gave me a call when I got home from school. And she goes, oh, did you really mean that in the note? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, (laughs) (laughs) The worst part was, there was another girl laughing with her. (laughs) Yeah. So my heart just stopped for about 10 seconds. My jaw hit the floor. I had never been exposed to such maliciousness. It was like shock of my life and just she's like why would I ever like you you're such a dork and uh so then I hung up the phone and retreated I don't I don't remember what I did but um obviously tried to pick up whatever pieces were left of my heart and uh (laughs) got on with my life and so um it was about a year later, and I'm not blaming this on the girl because it's there's a series of things. My story is so elaborate I could never say it, you know, in one night. But uh, there was a series of things that took place, and then by seventh grade, I was full on like I was attracted to men, had no attraction to girls, and uh, started fooling around with some friends. And uh, by high school, uh, I guess about tenth grade is when I actually started talking to people and coming out of the closet. Yeah and uh so you t- you talk about that a little bit
0: and um and uh just kind of some of that background there what um when uh when did you feel like you crossed that line to say you know what this is like this is this is the lifestyle I'm going with and you know and 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 begin to have those experiences within that lifestyle it
1: was probably about 7th grade uh because And I had been in the church, but all I heard was homosexuality was an abomination. Um, So there's this condemning without offering any help. And so I didn't invite these feelings in. I didn't wish myself to be gay. It was just who I was. And so uh, I had this, you know, fear because of everything I heard of what God thinks about homosexuality. I had this fear, and I would literally cry myself to sleep every night thinking God was gonna kill me in my sleep or something like that. And so I was tormented for like two years where I thought God was out to kill me um, because this must be a curse. I must have done something wrong. Homosexuality is an abomination, that's, that's all I heard. And so uh, since I hadn't invited on myself, I was just waiting for, the, to, for God to just lay the ax down on me. By my freshman year, I wasn't dead yet. So I thought, well, maybe God is okay with this. Uh, maybe he doesn't hate me. And so it was about ninth grade when I full on embraced, this is who I am and I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah. So, uh, just thinking about
0: your, your church experiences during that time and, um, you know, going to church, but knowing that this is how you feel and having those, those kind of feelings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What were, um, uh what was that experience like going to maybe youth group or to church or something like that during that time? And, and, um, I mean, did you feel like even if people didn't know about your struggle, do you feel like people were judging you or, um, you know what I'm, you know where I'm
1: going with that? I already felt out of place. Uh, the youth group revolved around team sports for some reason and I didn't play team sports and neither did my brother. So we were kind of the, Odd guys out, and so I didn't feel like I fit in anyway. Yeah. And so by about tenth grade, I wasn't I wasn't even going to a youth group. Yeah. I was actually transitioning to going into the clubs and getting a fake ID and partying around that time. So yeah. Uh, you uh, you know, in, in uh, Nathaniel has written
0: a, a, a book has been published yet, but I've read some of the you know, the, the manuscript of it. And um, you talked about in there, um, you talked about how you would uh, you would start going around to different places that you began to discover uh, different places around Atlanta and around the city and things like that that were, you know, like a, you know, like a bookstore that mm-hmm. happened to be where, you know, that community really hung out a lot at or restaurants or things like that, which is uh, maybe share a little bit of that and how you begin to seek that stuff out and, and then how you told your mom about, about it.
1: Yeah, I, I started going to the bookstores, the restaurants, the nightclubs, just trying to find where I belong because you may not know there's actually different like cliques in the homosexual community. And so there's the clubbers, there's the, um, I won't use the terminology, but there's the older men looking for younger men. And so there's all of these different areas in the city where you can just go to different uh, nooks and crannies and find the click that you feel you're most comfortable in. And so um, at that point, I had basically tried a little bit of everything just to try and find where I belong because I didn't feel at home uh, when I was at home. And when I was in Atlanta, I was having to adapt to each thing so then there's you know the queen so i would act really effeminate and do everything they did and then there's like macho guys who go clubbing you know and dance with their shirts off so i would go work out and dance with my shirt off and so i tried a little bit of everything and it none of it like i I realized how fake i was being because i was having to try and find my way to adapt into uh, another culture and there's so many subcultures within that culture And so um, at that point, my vows to not do drugs went out the window um, because I was just looking to belong. I was just looking for some validation and some identity because I was so confused at who I was and no one could give me that answer. And uh, all the while, I'm still praying All the while, I'm still talking to God. I would have an STD scare. I swear I contracted something. And then I would just like cry for a week and say, that's it. I'm celibate. I'm not going to do anything ever again. I'm going to get right with God. I do a vow of celibacy. And then my vow would break a few days later. I just couldn't keep my word. And uh, it was just this horrible roller coaster that I just wanted to get off of. You know, Uh, I overdosed multiple times in that process of trying to find where I belong. And um, one time, I actually overdosed so bad that... uh, I believed that I had died. I was staring at my body. I was like, I had no sense of feeling, no sense of, of touch or anything, or even hearing. I couldn't even hear anything. All I could see was my body on the ground. And I just was like hovering for a while. And I thought it was part of the drug. And after about five minutes, I started getting terrified. And I started drifting away from my body. And I felt, um, David, the psalmist, writes about the, the terror and pains of Shale. The, the fear of death started wrapping itself around me. I felt the absolute worst terror I'd ever felt in my life. And as I'm drifting away from my body, all I could think was, Jesus, don't let me die. And as soon as I said, Jesus, don't let me die, well, I didn't say it, I thought it. I flew right back into my body and sat up and I was completely sober. And I had been doing drugs all night. You just go down the list and I had probably done it that night. And I realized at that point, you know, my walk with the Lord I, was something I could not let go of if I was gonna find myself. And that, that moment, again, re, reaffirmed in me what my dad had taught me when I was a kid, which was, there's power in the name of Jesus. That if I had said, Buddha, please save me, or Muhammad, please save me, I would not be sitting here today talking to y'all. It's because I prayed to the, the only God who could save. And uh, the beautiful part is, I didn't even say it with my mouth. It was just my spirit. It was, it was my cry from my heart. And he still heard it. And so at that point, I had this new appreciation for the Lord because he had spared me multiple times. Um, with how reckless I was, I should have contracted HIV, honestly, um, multiple times. The Lord delivered me so many times, it just kept me. And uh, again, I, I was just on that roller coaster of I don't, I don't want to live this way but I don't know who I am and it's so funny because I'm in this lifestyle where everyone is celebrating their obvious differences but then saying let's let's tell everybody that we're just like them you know the gay pride movement revolves around we deserve equal rights because we're no different from you but then we take a whole month to celebrate how different we are
0: And when I, when I
1: asked people about it and I was in the lifestyle, I said, why do we do this? And they just got angry with me. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll just go under the rainbow and dance over here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Sorry. So, yeah. So you, so, um,
0: so at this point, uh, 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 tell them how you told your mom. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's pretty unfair. Uh. So I had this favorite restaurant in Atlanta and uh, it was very obviously gay and so I took my mom down there with one of my best friends and I had never taken her out to dinner so she knew something was up and we're going all the way into Atlanta and we live in Buford so something else is up and then we get there and there's a bunch of gay guys in the restaurant so something's really up and so finally I'm like well mom this is my favorite restaurant I'm gay let's eat. And- <laughs> That was pretty much it. It's awesome. So, uh,
0: it's not awesome, but. No. It's uh, awesome so, that she loved me through it. So, you graduate high school. Mm-hmm. You graduate high school. Yep. And, um, and then uh, you, you, you're you you're making music, getting into the club scene, dancing, doing music, and mm-hmm. DJing and all that kind of stuff. Um, you meet a guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he talks to you about, it's talk about that and how you ended up kind of leaving this area. And the cool thing is, is that, you know, so, something that kind of pop, his story is so big and so vast. Like, we're, we're skipping tons skipping of stuff lot. just to get here. Yeah. But his story is so big and so vast. But the cool thing is, is that through this journey, it's like, it'd be like six months. And then all of a sudden, it would be like this moment where God would just be like, boom. You know what I mean? Like, wake up. Yep. You know what I mean? And and you would, you would, and you would see it, but then you would fall back into it. And it would be six months, a year later, boom, something else would happen. And it was, it was, it's, it's just a beautiful example of the Scripture of how God pursues us. Yes. And He just chases us. And yes. he, he comes after us. Yes. And I can think of moments in my life where when my life was far from God, how He would do those things with me as well. And I would ignore it. Mm-hmm. But then I would find myself on my face going, God, let me live through the night, and I'll never touch this stuff again. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so you get there to, uh, so so you meet this guy, and uh, he's like, hey, man, I want to help you get your career going, all this kind of stuff, and basically kind of traps you in a situation. Kind of talk about that in Florida.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was still living in Atlanta, and I meet this guy, and he had just broken up with his fiance, and he was a businessman, and so he knew a lot about management and resources and networking, and So he really liked my mixes and the music that I was producing. And he's like, you know, we could really take this to the next level. You really should pursue, you know, do you have a manager? And I was like, I used to, but, you know, she would always end up under the table at the parties. And so it's not really representing me well. And so um, I, so he basically took me on as his first like DJ and started doing this on the side. So he started managing me, putting together promo packs. And uh, he decides you know, we both decide Atlanta's a dead end for electronica. If you want to do R&B or hip-hop, then, you know, Atlanta's great. But as far as dance music, the global club scene, trance house breaks, all of that stuff, you got to go to Miami or someplace like that. So we go down to Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. He sells his house. He sells tons of stuff so that we can move down there. And within like a couple weeks, he says, I'm in love with you. And if you don't become my boyfriend, I'm moving back to Atlanta, I'm going to tell your parents what a uh, promiscuous person you are. And i had never lived by myself in another city. I was 18, scared, and uh, so I entered into this codependent, ugly relationship. How old is this guy? He was 35. You're 18. (laughs)
0: <laughs> like thirty five is so old. I'm I know. like Dang, I'm thirty one. I'm almost there. there. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. this 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 happens. You get into that scene down
1: there, yeah. And um, and 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 things just begin to escalate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I thought I was reckless before. When I get down there, it's even worse. And so he's cheating on me. I'm cheating on him. We're yelling at each other, lying about it. It was just ugly and horrible and. Uh, you know, like what Derek was saying, just the Lord is so kind and so faithful that he, he has the mercy to let us continually make vows and promises and break them. And then he still picks up our mess and cleans us up and lets us try again. And I was learning through this process, I can't keep my word. Within myself, within this flesh, there's no ability for me to be able to control my hunger, my appetite for pleasure, my appetite for love, all those things that were driving me, I had no power within myself to contain that. It, it, had, it had absolute control of me. And so uh, the Lord was letting me just go down to the pit, basically. It got really, really ugly. Within two years, it was um, I got to the point, basically, where uh, I hit a high note, and I was uh, actually connected with the largest dance music conference in the world. I was organizing the interna- International Dance Music Awards. I was contacting record label execs. I was working with them organizing um, the club list for Miami during the Winter Music Conference, which is like a week-long uh, party, basically. It's nonstop. And uh, so I'm connecting with all these people that I was like, you know, idolizing at that time and seeing the ugly side of the industry but still kind of hoping that this would be my big break and then nothing happened. And a week later, I was delivering health food for lunches, and it was I was making less than minimum wage, and it was I hit this depression, and uh, so I started selling my body for drugs because I was just I was at my end. So you're prostituting yourself for drugs, and
0: and uh, and it just kind of kept going from there. Yep. So you're in Florida, and. Uh, you decide, or I'm not real sure how, how it goes, uh, I know we talked about it, but um, to go check out a church, mm-hmm. and you go to the church with, the, with your boyfriend or the guy, yeah. and when you get there, uh, there is a guy on the stage like you are tonight, sharing his story, mm-hmm. same similar story, yep. and you're sitting there in your chair, and you are like,
1: I'm, and you leave. Yeah, well, actually the previous 10 weeks I've been going to this church for 10 weeks and it was a Wednesday night service and there was like 2,000 people in a Wednesday night service and uh, so it was nice because I could kind of just like fade into the sea of people and but every week the pastor would be speaking on what bothered me the week before, like to, to every little detail and it freaked me out the first week, the second week It started getting a little bit cooler. And then by week 10, I could say what the pastor was going to be preaching on. And um, so it was somewhere around the 11th week, they bring this guy in, a converted homosexual. And uh, yeah, I was offended. I was so angry. I was like, how dare they? And what made it worse is this guy was actually really effeminate, like more effeminate than most of my drag queen friends. And so I was like, this is a joke. This guy is not delivered from anything. And... Uh, Just what he was saying was his story, but it it just made me so angry. It really ticked me off. And so uh, my boyfriend at the time and I just left, and we're like, we're not going back. But that broke my heart because every week I was getting washed. Like the presence of God was so strong and so real, and I wanted it. I needed it. So I started my own little Bible study at home, and the Lord started encountering me in my apartment. And uh, that as soon as that Bible study uh, started, uh, the enemy then stepped in and raised uh, his stakes, and then it, it got worse after that, and that's when it really went downhill. So um,
0: things are going downhill. Mm-hmm. Things are not good. I mean, a lot of low points were probably the lowest point. Uh, what was it? What was this, you know, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back? What was, what was the thing that happened that caused you to say, I gotta get out of this. I've gotta get away from Florida.
1: I've gotta figure some things out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I had a friend that I actually met in the Winter Music Conference, uh, die in a plane crash on April 20th of that year. And I found out while I was driving up to Savannah to DJ at a, a club. And when I found out, it just sent a shockwave through me. and. And this was a bright kid. He had a bright future. He was so smart, so gifted and talented. Uh, he was going to go far. And when I found out, it just shocked me to my core. And I realized, why him and not me? What would happen if I died right now? And I was examining my life and I was disgusted. I wanted to throw up. I was like, why am I doing this? This is not the way my parents raised me. How did I get this way? And uh, Honestly, like that scene was full of that. It was just a bunch of broken, hurting people trying to find identity, trying to find a father's love. And so I started to veer back to the Lord at this point and really start crying out in an intentional way. And a friend of mine said, look, you, know, you just need to really get into a place of desperation and cry out to God. And so uh, one night, the Lord delivered me from all my drug addiction in one moment. The presence of God fell on me and I didn't touch anything after that ever again, haven't touched anything since. Then Now, I mean, and you kinda of brush through
0: that. Yeah. Like that's that's just a quick phrase, but I mean you understand he's doing like hard stuff. The hardest stuff that's out there. And you don't just like one day are doing that and in that the way that you were actually in it and mm-hmm. to hear your whole story we don't have time for, but right. the way you were in it and for God just one night just to boom and no more. Mm-hmm. I mean that's pretty amazing.
1: It is, and it was kind of my security blanket, if you will, and so um, every night I was having the worst nightmares. You would not believe how bad these were. They're actually called night terrors. It's worse than a nightmare, and so I'd wake up every morning, and I was so gripped with fear and anxiety, I couldn't even get out of bed. This was every morning, and so I used pot just to get out of bed. I had to smoke some weed just so I could get up, Um, and so... uh, I'm not addicted to drugs anymore. I don't have any drugs. So I wake up from these horrible dreams. What am I going to do? And so after a week of that, I was was like, okay, something's got to break. And so my friend, uh, again, he said, look, he delivered you from drug addiction. Why don't you ask him to deliver you from these dreams? And so good question. I don't know why I didn't think of that. So I prayed that night. For the first time, I don't know why I didn't think of this before, uh, I said, Lord, if, if I'm having another one of those dreams, then can you remind me while I'm dreaming that I can pray to you? Because I had experienced, God, answer my prayer while I'm awake so many times. Why, why can't you just break into my dreams? Just remind me that I can pray to you in my dreams. So I have this dream that night, and I'm in a fortress, and this water starts rising from my feet up to my knees and with pretty soon it's starting to create waves and crash over me and now I can't even feel the floor and this huge snake comes and starts wrapping itself around my body and it's constricting my limbs and so it's trying to pull me under the water and these waves are crashing and on the distant wall I see a cross hanging on the wall And when I see the cross, I'm not thinking Jesus or the crucifixion or Calvary or any of those things, I just see a cross and I'm thinking, I have to touch this. And so as long as I kept my eye on the cross, I had the ability to overpower the snake in the water. And so I'm swimming and I reach out and I touch the cross and as soon as my hand touches it, I immediately remember for the first time ever in my dreams that I could pray. And I just immediately prayed, Jesus, save me. And immediately the water and the snake disappear and I wake up, and when I wake up, it was like a veil had been lifted from my eyes, and I almost didn't even recognize my room, almost didn't recognize Fort Lauderdale. I was terrified. I was so scared I had to change my sheets, if you know what I mean, and and so it was some delayed laughter there. Um, I was implying I peed in my bed, Um, so... I basically at Some that of these students go to that Hill, that's why. Oh. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> that's
0: where he went. <laughs> go Eagles. Ah, I'm just messing.
1: They're all sitting together.
0: <laughs> There's like
1: this grumbling. They're going awake on now. Else. Yeah. So I'm gonna get beat up. <laughs> so um, so I wake up and I'm freaking out. And then I just hear the voice of God so clearly. It's not audible, it's not like shaking my ears, but it's booming in my spirit. And he's like, leave Fort Lauderdale, leave this guy you're with, get out of here. And uh, so I call my parents, so that was another thing, call your parents, tell them what's going on. So I call my mom crying. I'm like, I feel like I'm seeing color for the first time. Like I'm breathing air for the first time. I can't even tell you how wild it was. I was feeling joy and freedom and peace for the first time. And a couple hours later, the guy that I was with, um, my live-in f- boyfriend, manager, whatever, um, he, he calls me, this is a couple hours after I wake up. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, what are you talking about? What's going on? Something's going on there. No, I'm just here at the apartment. What, what are you talking about? Something's going on. I'm coming home right now, click. I was like, <laughs> what is going on today? <laughs> and so he comes storming in. He leaves work. He's a, he was working for a mortgage company. He just leaves work. He doesn't care. Barges in the door and is like, what's going on? And I was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to obviously say nothing again. So I told him, I said I had an encounter with God. He told me to leave. I kid you not, this is what he told me that's not God, that's Satan trying to break us up. <laughs> yes. My jaw hit the floor again and uh, I was like, this is ridiculous, I cannot believe this is happening. So whatever happened in the spirit, you know, whatever happened to me that morning, somehow word got to him and he didn't even know what was going on, he was just picking something up. And so for the next three weeks, I had to wait three weeks for my dad to come and get me. And during that three-week period, it was so important for me because um, at that time, I had been, you know, right before that, I had been living this promiscuous life without any restraint. I kept breaking my vows. And now I'm in the same city that I was running amok in, and now God was holding me, and I wasn't doing drugs, I wasn't sleeping around. I was pretty much just staying home watching chick flicks all day and crying because God was speaking to me (laughs) through all of them. And uh, (laughs) I watched What a Girl Wants every day for three weeks. (laughs) Me and Amanda Bynes, we have this special connection. But um, the whole movie, the whole movie is about her wanting to, to know her father and the Lord was speaking to me through that. He's like, Mm. what you need is my love. You need the heavenly father's love, more than your dad, your earthly dad's love. You need my love. You need to know what I think about you. And the movie ends with her dad pursuing her, leaving everything behind to get her. And I, at the end of the movie, I'd be a wreck. I'd be crying my guts out because I was seeing, this was the father, this was the picture of the father pursuing me. So I move back to Atlanta, it's a crazy cool story how I moved back here. I know we don't have time yeah. for it. But I moved back here and actually get plugged into Crossroads Community Church. For, well, now called now, Twelve, 12. 12 Stall. Yeah. Um, and so you, this is a cool story, I think. So
0: you get back here. Mm-hmm. God's really doing a work in your life. Yep. And, uh, you know... Um, you're you're away from Fort Lauderdale. Your eyes have been open. The scales have fallen off. You know, I just sing a Paul when the scales fall off his eyes, or, you know, just coming from darkness to light. You now don't. You know. You know. You just saw things totally different. So here you are, and you're back here, um, but um, but I mean, you're still not attracted to women at this point. No. And so you go to Water's Edge,
1: which is a college ministry here one night. Yep. And you're in water's edge and tell us the story tell, tell them the story. so i've been going for about a month and a half and it was right after my birthday and the lord you know miles welsh was the pastor at the time and he was talking on following god he wasn't talking about homosexuality or anything and i'm sitting through the message and he's talking about what it takes to follow god and he says to follow god means you have to constantly be leaving things behind And at that point, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. Now, again, Miles wasn't talking about homosexuality or sexual anything. He was talking about following God. But the Holy Spirit was telling me, you have to renounce homosexuality tonight. If you want to follow me, you have to leave this behind. Now, note, no one to this point had talked to me about homosexuality. No one was saying, you need to repent, sinner. No one was saying anything. Um, That was the wisdom of God. He kept me safe through that because... He had to be the one to invite me to throw it down and to renounce it. And so that night, I prayed the scariest prayer I'd ever prayed at that point because I didn't want to be attracted to women. I was comfortable being gay. And so, but I knew the Holy Spirit was pressing it on me. He said, this is not who you are. And if you're going to follow me, you have to leave this behind. So in my, you know, in the strongest faith that I had at the time, I said, I have to renounce this. I just prayed to, you know, short little prayer, I was pretty scared, didn't know what was going to happen, and then um, not even a week later, uh, I had no attraction to men at all, and all I could think about was getting married to a woman and having kids. It's crazy. It's awesome. But that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. (laughs) It's not the end
0: of the story. But it's, uh, so, so that happens, so that happens.
1: It was a good three-month run. Good three-month run. Yep, and felt uh, like what it, well, I, I knew what it felt like to be a straight man for the first time. Yep, it was wild.
0: And so God had God had healed you, delivered you with there, but the reality is, is that the enemy's still at work, mm-hmm. and uh, that you know the Bible tells us in First Peter five eight that, that uh, you know he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he made a bower. And, you know, it talks about in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wasn't about to let you go that easily. Right. So, uh, so some of those temptations come yeah. back in the picture right. Right. after this. And uh, kind of talk to your journey, mm-hmm. from you know, get
1: the, you know the, the, the Cliff Notes version from sure. there to Tiff. Yeah. So, you know, the Lord had totally won my heart. In that month and a half before, well, actually, the, the two months really before he invited me to renounce homosexuality. And I believe the deliverance really happened that night, mm. not the week later when I noticed I wasn't. The deliverance happened when I came into agreement with his will for my life. Wow. The manifestation happened later. And then, when the temptation started coming back and I started feeling the attraction of men come back, it was about three months later, he was showing me, I can flip the switch if I want to, but I'm gonna teach you how to engage in in obedience because that's what a son does. That's what Christianity is. It's learning how to enter into that sonship or daughtership with him, and that means obedience, but it's that childlike obedience where I'm glad to obey you, Father. I'm glad to say yes to whatever you have. And so I went through the next five years um, at, at a house of prayer down the road and I did an internship and then I just sat in the prayer room day after day after day as my full-time job, uh, as just as a missionary. And I just sat there and I read the word and I prayed. No one led me through a Homo norm, No More deliverance group. <laughs> no one you know, um, you know, took me through a 12-step program, and I'm not belittling those, you know, the, the Lord has different paths for everyone, but my particular story, it was the Holy Spirit just walked me through the Bible. That's right. I just sat in his lap and just read the Word, and he just showed me what he thought about me, what he thought about homosexuality, what he thought about my life before, what he thought about my life that I'm about to live, and in that process, you know, I heard it say, if you're you want a woman who's so hidden in God that you have to run after God to find her. So I'm running dude, hard hold after Hold on her. a sec. Say that again. Ladies, you want to be a woman that's so hidden in God that the men have to be running after God to find you. And guys, oh, you dude. want a woman who's so hidden in God that write you have that to down. run after God to find her. That's good. Go ahead and tweet it. You don't have to quote me. Just So, so I'm in the prayer room. Uh, I'm running after the Lord, and I see this amazingly gorgeous woman, and uh, I am totally drawn to her. Actually, the first time I saw her was two months prior. She was starting an internship, but two, uh, about a month or two before. I actually saw her come to the house of prayer, and the Lord said, that's your wife. And I saw her sitting next to a guy, and I was like, I don't know if I'm hearing right, but a month later, she's there without a ring on her finger, so I was like, yeah. (laughs) Now, this is after five years of wrestling with the Lord, fasting and praying, and just going through some hard seasons, and then I'm seeing the fruit of my prayers, Mm -hmm. and so uh, we weren't, like, going to pursue, you know, each other, you know, as boyfriend and girlfriend she actually had, you know, the fear of the Lord on her where she was like, I'm going to be pursued. I'm not going to give him mixed signals. He's, if he wants me, I'm worth being pursued. Y'all hear that, ladies? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be a man, and I'm going to pursue her when the father tells me I can have his daughter. Booyah. And so I was not, not going to play with a girl's heart. So I was like, until God says, go get him, tiger, I'm just not going to do anything. So um, the Lord one day told me, she's definitely your wife, and I'm ready, or you're ready to go get her. And that same night, the Lord confirmed it to my wife as well. Now, she actually had a dream before she had ever met me, before she even came to the house of prayer. She had a dream and saw me in the dream, and she knew I was her husband. So when she saw me in person, she was like, oh, my God there he is. He's the man of my dreams. (laughs) No, it's a true story. It's a true story, but I love saying that part. So, Um, so y'all begin this relationship. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. After I, I initiated, I pursued her. She cried and yeah. And and uh, you know and I've read your
0: story, and I've seen all this kind of stuff. So you guys say you guys uh, saved something to your wedding day. Yeah.
1: What was that? We saved our kiss, first kiss for our wedding day. So it was powerful when we kissed. It was. And so, how long have you guys been married now? Three and a half years. She's in the She's back. She's here.
0: There's Tiffany back hey, there waiting lady. Hey Tiffany.
1: That's my baby's mama back there. You guys uh, you guys got any kids? We have two beautiful little girls. Two kids? What are their names? Uh Selah Oh, Karen. you don't have to
0: tell them if you don't want them to know. Is Selah
1: Corin that- and Aria Saraya. They're cool?
0: amazing. Well, uh I wanted, I wanted Nathaniel to share his story because, and, and there's, there's just, you know, we're, we're running way late on time, but it's fine. Are y'all cool that we're running a little late on time? Who cares? Because when it's good, it's good. I, I just, there's, there's several things I want you to hear from his story. First, I want you to hear that, um, that there are people that come here on a weekly basis. There are people in this room right now that, have, that are in Nathaniel's situation when he was in 6th, 7th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. And uh, many times when they come or when they're around other Christians or whatever, they may feel condemnation. They may feel like people are, you know, tearing them down and that kind of stuff. They can also misunderstand the scriptures and think that we're saying, that, that the church is saying, you've got to stop being gay in order to become a Christian. The Bible didn't the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says surrender your life to Him. Let the Holy Spirit come inside of you. Let God reside in you and let Him put His finger on the areas of your life to help get you, give you victory over those things. Yes. And that's why I say all the time, Apart from the Holy Spirit of God living within you, there is no victory, there is no power, there is no anything over sin in your life, whether that be this or any other one in your life. And the reality is homosexual sin is no different than any other sexual sin, whether that be pornography or uh, having sex with your girlfriend outside of the context of marriage or whatever. That all of those things. Yes. What's that? What's that? I don't know what I said. It was funny. I got to think to go back and listen to anyway, and, uh, but that. Anyway, but any of those things, you know, and, and so the reality is that's what, that's what it is. And so I feel like, I feel like that's why we got to have this conversation. We, we can't just ostracize this thing over here and then not talk about the other things, you know. But I think that's so important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit, the power of God, this the reason the Bible tells us greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And when you have a relationship with Him, like think the game changes, the scales fall off, your life is changed and things are different. That's the reason in Second Corinthians five seventeen it says, "If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come." There's a newness, there's a freshness, there's something that you can't explain. And here's the deal: you can argue all you want to about this or that or your views or your feelings or your that. You cannot argue with the experience of God in Nathaniel's life. You can't argue it. It just is what it is. Now, we wanted to close out this time and allow you guys to ask questions. Any questions that you, want, you, know, that you would like to ask. And so we're going to have a couple of our interns uh, that are going to have some microphones. Now, this is how it's going to work. They're going to come to you. You tell them the question. So if you've got a question, you tell them the question, and then they'll ask the question to us. And uh, that's how that's how it's going to work. So uh, so we're not going to give you the microphone because I don't. We don't want you to talk for like thirty minutes to ask one question. And so <laughs> give them the Cliff Notes version of the question. They'll they'll bring it back to us. But we you know Nathaniel's up here, and there's so many other things that we could talk through about what God's Word says and all this kind of stuff. And and uh, and but I, I would like for uh, oh what nice. And uh, so. Um, <laughs> Y'all give it up for Danny and Matt. Yeah. And so if you have a question, if you have a question that you would like to ask me or Nathaniel or both of us, uh, or if it's a question about the Bible, question about whatever that pertains to this particular thing or any sort of, uh, you know, sexual sin or whatever, uh, then uh, ask these guys. So if you got that, you can raise your hand and, um, and these guys will come around. Anybody? Uh, we got somebody over here, lady over here. Where's old Matt? Where are you at? Oh, oh, I see you back there. Oh, I can't see you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, anyone who's in that lifestyle, really any kind of, uh, any brokenness at all, the best thing to do is uh, you stay prayed up. And uh, really there isn't a cookie-cutter response for that. I would say, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say in the time. Really, our, our actions speak louder than words. So really, people are looking for us to be consistent. And so if you're acting like, you know, you love somebody and then in the, you know, the cafeteria or in a class, you're making fun of somebody and they see it, they're gonna see inconsistencies. We as believers have to be consistent. If we're gonna have a valid witness, if they're gonna even take us seriously, our actions have to back up the fact that we love people. No exceptions, everyone, we love everyone. And so I would say, let your actions be consistent. Love everyone, not just those who are homosexual because they're watching the Christians going, yes, yeah, They're talking about that person behind their back, they're gossiping. They're probably doing that about me. Do you see what I'm saying? And so we have to be consistent, but then also really just trusting God to give you the right words, because you never know what they're going through. You never know why they are the way they are, and only God knows their hearts. And so we cannot strive to make them a project or a ministry. You know, we have to just see them as this, this is somebody that God loves, and He wants the fullness for them. He wants their destiny to come forth, and I want to see their destiny come forth. So, whatever I have to do or say, if that means I say nothing and just hug them, then that's what I'm going to do. It's good, man. Magia. How did your initially react to what you announced Uh You know, I just thank God that I have amazing parents. Um, my mom and dad both just reaffirmed their love for me. My dad said, I don't approve of your lifestyle, but I accept you as my son. And that was about the smartest thing he could have said at that time. I mean, and that was in the heat of the moment where the shock hits him. And uh, so I knew I had an open door with them when they, when they loved me, uh, despite, you know, my obvious alternative lifestyle choices were not in congruency with the beliefs that we've been raised with, and so um, they they only responded with love. It was a little uncomfortable. My mom had some you know weird questions like why, how, you know. We had a little uncomfortable chats here and there, just so she, she could understand me better. But um, the way they responded was in love, so that they would leave that door open for me, which was it was the Lord that that happened.
0: My guess is, too, that they didn't stop praying for you as well.
1: No, uh, although my mom, I just recently shared my testimony on uh, Victory 91.5, and my mom called in right after I had shared my testimony, and she confessed on the, on the air, live air. She was like, well, I did stop praying for you for a while. I just lost all hope and faith. <laughs> and, but she was saying that because uh, a mom had called in, and she just found out both her kids had just come out of the closet. And she was in despair. And my mom was just saying, look, you know, even when you are faithless, God is still full of faith That's and right. still faithful. And uh, he, God fought for me even when my mom had, was just too weary to fight.
0: Yep, it's good.
1: Yeah, we have a question here. It's a little more uh, theological. What would you say to someone who, um, you mentioned a little bit about it, but who says God, creates, God created you, and um, you know, why does he create you?
0: Yeah. You mind if I start with that one? Sure. <sighs> Actually, let's arm wrestle first. <sighs> uh, and uh, uh, never mind.: Well uh, I, I think that's a great question. And, the question. and and the question would say, "Why are you singing?" At, first would be, "Why are you singing out homosexuality?" Why would God create someone who is an adulterer? Why would God create someone who is a liar? Why would God create someone who is uh whatever? Just, just go with all those things. And here's the reality. When God created in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God created and said everything was good, said everything was very good. At that point, sin had not entered into the world. Everything was in peace with God and everything was in harmony with God. And there was no sin and there was no evil creation ended at that point point. and so when people say well God created people to be home God didn't see what happens is, is that in Genesis chapter 3 there's the fall and because of the fall sin enters the world and sin enters the world through Adam and through Eve and through them, you know, taking from the fruit. But the sin wasn't taken from the fruit. It was, it was basically them saying, I want to be like God. I don't really care what God says about it because I think I can get gain from this. Because the enemy told them, if you take from this, you'll be like God. And so what happens is they do that. Sin enters the world. And the Bible tells us that since then, that's when death entered the world. That's when sin enters the world. That's when, you know, all of those things happen in Genesis chapter 3. So before then, there was no death, there was no disease, there was no, uh, you know, no sin, none of that kind of stuff. And so when you talk about that, you have to be careful because it's a misunderstanding to say, well, God created me this way, God created me that way. And, and what happens is when you say that, you're saying, because God made me this way, I'm not responsible. And if I'm not responsible, it's not sin. That's right. And the reality is is that you are responsible. Sin is who you are, but sin is also what you choose and you choose that sin. Therefore God didn't create you that way. You chose to go that way. And the Bible tells us we choose rebellion. That's the reason in Romans 3 it says there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who seeks God, no one who understands. Their mouths are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, ruin and misery mark their way, and the way of peace they do not know. I mean, this is every single person that walks the face of this earth. We are all in rebellion to God apart from what Christ has done in our life. And the beautiful part of his story, I think, it just lines up so much with Luke 15 and the prodigal son, where you have this, this, this son who says, I want my inheritance, I want to go my way. He takes off and he goes, and, and he's, living, he's indulging himself for years and years and years and years and years, finds himself in the pit in the low with the low, and he comes back home to dad and says, dad, would you let me in, even just let me be a servant? And he says, I got one better for you. Why don't we go and get the fat and calf ready and let's have a party because my, my, my son who has been running from me has come home. And that is the truth of the word. That is what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us we are fallen in rebellion to God. But the cool thing is, is that Jesus loves us. God is pursuing us. And if we come back home, if we put our trust and faith in him, then he will save us, that he will bring us into relationship with him. The Bible tells us in John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But if you keep, most of you have heard that that verse all the time. If you keep reading, it says that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it. Why would he need to save it? The reason he needs to save it is because of sin. And so there's condemnation that, that we think sometimes Jesus was bringing. And Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. We all stand condemned apart from Christ. So therefore, Jesus came to save the world. So... So the, what I would say is, is that the question is flawed. God never created anyone to be sinful. God never created anyone to be an adulterer, a liar, a homosexual. You go down the list. It doesn't matter. God didn't create us that way. That is what we chose and that's who we are because of sin. What he said. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Can we get another uh, question asker? No, <laughs> uh what kind of advice do you have for um someone that is in a relationship where things are going too far?
1: What kind of advice do you have for them to help them do that and uh to help uh their their partner
0: do that just I mean, homosexual or, you know, or heterosexual, whatever. Or so, yeah, just So so the question is. If you have a friend who's going too far in a relationship physically, what advice and that kind of stuff can you give them?
1: For their,
0: you know, um, the first question I would ask is, are they a Christian? And if they're not a Christian, then I say you share the gospel with them, you share the love of Christ with them, and you tell them what Jesus has done for them. And when they give their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit would, that then resides in them, God who then gives them conviction for those things, and hopefully they stop doing it because of the conviction there. If they're not a Christian, then the Bible tells us that that the message is foolishness to those who go on without believing. Mm -hmm. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, which I think is cool for your story, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They don't understand. And so I would say in any conversation, the first thing you do is you give them Jesus and you let the Holy Spirit of God work in their life. You let that convict them. It is not your job to convict your friends of their sins. It's like when I had friends around me when I first became a Christian and they would be dropping F-bombs and all this kind of stuff around me and all this kind of stuff. And at first I was like, man, don't cuss around me. I'm a Christian. Now I look back and I'm like, I was so immature for saying something like that. I don't care if you cuss around me. You don't know any different. You're not a follower of Christ. People who are not followers of Christ act like they're not followers of Christ. And that goes for you if you're in here. If you think you're a follower of Christ, but your life doesn't line up with it, you need to know that 1 John 2, 6 says, for those who claim to know him must walk as Jesus did. If your actions don't line up with your life, then listen, you're probably not a believer in Jesus. I don't care if you've been to church your whole life. I don't care if you got dunked in some tank. I don't care what you've done. The reality is is that if you have a relationship with Christ, that will affect your life. There is no concept of faith in Scripture outside of it leading to action. Nowhere. And so that's really important to understand too. So I think the question is, are they believers? If not, they need Jesus. If they are believers, then you go to them as a brother in Christ and you say, Hey, listen, this is what the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And you walked in through 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and you say, This is what God says about sexual sin. And if you call yourself a follower of Christ and this is what the word of God says, you need to stand on the word of God as your foundation for your life and you need to stop doing it. You know what I'm saying? In a loving, caring way. But here's the deal let's not get carried away with love. Love is not God. God is God. And sometimes we make love God. And that's faulty. That's faulty. Some of us are loving people to hell. If we're not loving people in order to share the love of to share Christ with them, then we're not loving them. If you tell me you love your friend because you don't call them out on their sin and they're Christians, you don't love them. In the same way that when we love someone, when we when we when we reach into their life and we love them and we serve them and that kind of stuff, if we never share Christ with them and they don't know Christ, how are we loving them? We can meet every need in their life, but if we don't meet their, meet their ultimate need, their need for a Savior, Jesus, then what have we done? What have we accomplished? What have we given them? And that's the reason in Romans 10, the Bible tells us that how can they hear if there's no one there preaching? It's not just enough to love with our actions, but we've got to love with our words too. Mm-hmm. We've got to share with them where the love is coming from and where our peace and our hope is coming from, and that comes from Jesus. So we have to know that as well. So that's a good loaded good question and I think that's that's the way to approach it depending on where they are in faith
1: um, yes so
0: I'll, I'll 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 answer a little bit of this, we'll go. He gave he gave me the wink like he's like yeah you go ahead and take you go ahead and take this one. The the second question is sexual. I would say this: sexual sin is put in a league of its own. In 1 Corinthians six verses eighteen, the Bible says, "Flee sexual immorality." All other sins are committed outside the body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? I think the reason that sexual sin is placed in that sort of a realm is because of how God created man and woman. And God created it to be a picture, the husband and wife, the bride, is also the picture between Jesus and the church. And it's a picture of our relationship with God. I think that's why, too, God hates divorce. Mm-hmm. Because this relationship is supposed to be together, is supposed to be fruitful. And sex is a gift that is given to the marital relationship and is not designed to be used outside of that. So when we abuse that, we are going against what God had created from the beginning to be the highest form of intimacy to be between a husband and a wife. So that's one, that's, that's part of the question. The other question is this, is that when you say, can you be a homosexual and be, and be a Christian, my question is, can you be a vegetarian and eat steak all the time? I mean, the reality is, and, and, and the reality of it is, is that, is that you got to be careful what you, how you word that. Can you be a Christian and struggle with homosexuality? Can you be a Christian and struggle with lust? Can you be a stri- Christian and struggle with whatever, name it? Absolutely. Absolutely. He would tell you that, uh, and we've talked about this, that, you know, it's still a battle. And there are times where, you know, some of those thoughts will creep in. And he has to say, hey, hey, baby, you know, to his wife, can you pray for me? Can you, you know, whatever. And, you know, that, you know we all, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. Doesn't mean you're not going to have temptations. Being a Christian isn't like free from all that kind of stuff. But when you find your identity yes. in the sin that yes. you are living in. Then I have a hard time saying you are a Christian when your identity is found in your sin. And that's what happens when you say, you know, hey, I'm a homosexual and I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian first or are you a homosexual first? Because if your identity is in who you desire to have sex with, that's kind of a weak place to find identity. For sure. The same with heterosexual. If you find your identity in a relationship with a girl or a guy, whether that's heterosexual or homosexual or whatever, you name it, you, you go down the list or whatever. When you find your identity in that sort of a relationship, you are missing the fact that you must have your identity in Christ first. And I would say that if you have a relationship with Jesus and your identity is found in him, it's not that you may not have struggles, but it is that you would have conviction. And it is that you would you would see things the way God sees things. So I think that it's kind of a tricky question. Are there Christians that struggle with homosexuality? 100%. Same-sex attraction? 100%. Are there people who say my identity is in homosexuality, but I'm a Christian? I'm not sure. I, I just don't... I don't think that really lines up with, uh, with Scripture and, um, and, and what we take there.
1: So, well, so and, yeah. and I, would you add? The last, you know, it was only about two months where I was living as a gay Christian, and that's because the Father is not scandalized by our weakness and our ignorance. That's right. He was letting me experience those two months in that time frame to learn how to be loved by Him, so that when He asked me to lay it down, I was ready. No one else asked me to lay it down. So the, there was that. It was only a two-month season, and it was really that time to just fall in love with God and see that He's somebody who can be trusted and somebody that I can surrender my life to. And, you know, it says, like you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 6, he goes down a list of, you know, if you're a thief, if you're an adulterer, homosexual, a male prostitute, all these things, he's like, you cannot receive the kingdom of God. The issue is Christianity is a covenant relationship with God. And he's saying, if you live with these lifestyle choices, you can't be in covenant with me. But then he puts at the end of that, That section, after he lists all those sins, he says, and some of you were these things. That's right. Back in the day, people were getting delivered from homosexuality. That's right. Paul says, some of you used to be like this, but God's grace has come upon you. And so even in the midst of Corinth, people were getting set free from homosexuality because God is after our heart. He's after a deep covenant relationship. And if you enter into covenant by the blood of Jesus, that is irrevocable, and you have to do it on his terms because it was on his blood.
0: That's right. And let me add to that because I don't want there to be any confusion in what I'm saying here as well is that there's also um, when we give our lives to Christ, there, we grow in our faith. We, we use this big word, progressive sanctification, but we progress in our faith. We're That's progressively good. being set apart. So when I first became a Christian when I was 17 years old, God delivered me from drugs and alcohol immediately. But man, as far as lust goes, as far as, you know, uh, sexual sin, as far as, as far as like, you know, man, my language is so filthy and, you know, all these things. I mean... You know, that was a part of my growing process in my faith. And God is still dealing with me on things in my life, whether it be pride or whether it be this or whether it be that, whether it be whatever. And so a part of it is you say, hey, man, I'm a, you know, I I was, you know, I was in this lifestyle. I've given my life to Christ. Man, I still struggle. You know, hey man, I messed up over here. I messed up over here. But you know what? I'm growing and I'm learning, and God is working on my heart, and He's challenging me with things. And I think that it's cool because He was seeking the Lord so He could hear the voice of God. And eventually, several months in, God said, "Okay, I've delivered you from the drugs and all this kind of stuff. All right, it's two months into your faith now. Listen, I'm going to ask you to put this down now." And I think that it's the voice of God that 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 speaks in your life in that way. So that's a part of that growing process as well. That you know, that you're going to be growing in your faith. And whatever sin, whatever thing you're dealing with, whatever thing you're struggling with, as you grow in your faith, man, there may be some things that you get deliver from right away. There may be some things that you have going on in the rest of your life that you're never fully delivered from. But it causes you to seek after the Lord's power. It causes you to be dependent on Him in order to make it through. And that's the reason Paul says, hey, I had this thorn in my flesh Something was going on in his life. And he says, and I asked three times for the Lord to take it away from me, but he didn't. And then he goes and says, I will boast all the more in my weakness, for where I am weak, he is strong. What happens is is that when we understand that we are weak, that that allows us to have dependency on God to give us strength. But what we try to do is we try to do it on our own. And we try to battle on our own. And it it drives us into deeper and deeper depression and desperation. And he's saying, lean on me as your child.
1: Just in case there's somebody in here who's struggling with it and you're just too ashamed to ask for help. I just want to say, you know, like Derek said, you know, there's days when I'm bombarded with thoughts and emotions and my flesh is responding. Remember sin still dwells in this flesh. Even though my mind is renewed, I'm not gonna be defined by what comes against me. My battle does not decide who I am. What I am fighting does not determine my identity or where I'm going. And so um, God's given me an amazing wife will pray for me, I'm like, baby, I'm having those thoughts today, and she's like, okay, well, in Jesus' name, we just break this off, and she'll just start warring over me, and that takes a real woman, and that the Lord brought her to a place of security, so that when I confess to her, I'm having one of those days, she's not like, oh my gosh, is he looking at that guy, and she doesn't get insecure, so I would just want to say, if you're struggling with this, don't, don't look at this as Uh, like what Derek said, as your identity. Picture a businessman who goes into a city. There's billboards everywhere of half-naked women. He's tempted to look at them, but he loves his wife back home. And all day, there's all these images and advertising. And all day, he's taking those thoughts captive. Even though his flesh may respond, he may feel this draw, I wanna look at her. He stops that assault on him. And he returns home, battle-weary. But he didn't give in. Would you call that man an adulterer? That's right. No. Even though his flesh was raging and there's so many external things inviting him into that, he chose to fight. And so if you're struggling with this, just because you're tempted and just because you're drawn, just because your flesh may rage and you may respond, that doesn't make you a homosexual. That's right. You can't be defined by that to call that man who fought all day because he loves his wife back home an adulterer after he fought all day that's ridiculous that's right so for me to call you who struggle all day to call you a homosexual that's ridiculous that's right and even and even it's even biblical
0: remember temptation is not sin jesus was tempted but the bible says he was tempted in every way yet without sin you say well what does that mean that means he was tempted was he tempted? Yes, he was. I think, clearly, Jesus was tempted not to go to the cross. He was tempted. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is in such anguish, the Bible says he's sweating blood. It's a condition called hematidrosis. It's a true condition that happens when people are under a massive anguish and stress. He's in the garden. He's sweating blood. He's feeling the sins of the world on his shoulders. And he's praying to his Father in heaven, and he says, God if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, God, if there's any other way we can work this out, he's talking to the Father, then let, that be, then let that be so. Not my will, but your will be done. Even then, he was tempted, but he was submitting to the will of the Father and going to the cross so that all of mankind can be redeemed through a relationship with him. It's pretty amazing. Well, uh... We're out of time, and so what time we got eight forty-three. Here's the, This is what we're gonna do. Um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, I want to give you guys just a few announcements, and uh, you know we normally break out into our connection groups, but I think are you, you guys are glad that Nathaniel came here. I'll give it up for him. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, I don't think, good job, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. Amen. That's Right. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Let me just, let me just say this. Uh, it's so hard for me to talk and sit down. Y'all know how I'm like, hi, and then we got to, you know, and uh, so I'll let all this energy out. Um, but real quick, before we close out tonight, uh, for the next, you know, 15 minutes or so, if you guys want to just hang out in the lobby and just kind of chill with each other and all this kind of stuff, um, and just kind of you know hang out or whatever. Nathaniel's going to be up here. I'm going to be up here. if there's if you want to talk to us about anything, that's great. Uh, we, we're here for you guys. We think that that was important. Um, there's a few announcements I want to give you. The first announcement is this. If you're here and you haven't got connected in a home group, let me tell you something. You are missing out on one of the best things that we do, and I'm going to tell you why. This is an opportunity for you to come together in a smaller group where you may not know as many people in here because it's hard to get to know everybody in the crowd. And I know what some of you are thinking. I don't know many people from my school, or I know <coughs> that girl who goes there, and I don't like her. She's like my and uh you know and all that kind of stuff but the cool thing is is that god's bigger than that kind of stuff and i want to challenge you into relationships with each other and i want to challenge you to go deeper in your relationship with christ and this shh and this week this week uh we have a mystery movie on, on sunday that kevin queen is going to be teaching and it's going to be awesome and on sunday night in our home groups we're going to be going through that if you need to know where the home group is for your school all right give me one second if you need to know where the home group is for your school, uh, we can give that to you when you head out tonight. We have that information for you. They're done by schools, so you don't have to drive all over the place, and uh, you can go to these home groups. Our leaders are awesome, and they're loving it, and I, so I want to challenge you and encourage you to be involved in that. The second thing is, and this is extremely, extremely important. 12 Stone has a tendency to be very last minute on a lot of stuff, and everything we do is very last minute Uh, here as far as when we sign up for things and get involved for things. Well, I just want you to be aware for you last minute people that DIG registration ends Sunday at midnight, no exceptions. If you do not sign up for DIG by midnight on Sunday, you cannot go. We already have around 200 and 250 people that have already signed up for DIG. It's getting pretty packed, and uh, and it's going to be awesome, but we have to cut it off because we have to book buses and transportation, all that kind of stuff. Dig is going to be amazing. It is going to be, I'm telling you, if you went to Dig last year, I'm telling you right now, we've been talking about it as a team and what we set up and all this kind of stuff. This will be the most amazing, unbelievable retreat that we have ever done. Ever done. It is going to be unbelievable, and you don't want to miss it. We're going to have, uh, additionally, yeah. Additionally, we're going to have white water rafting there, paintball, you know, uh, ropes course, blob on the lake, mud obstacle course, dodgeball tournament, hangout, board games, whatever you want to do, we're going to have it and you can do it and it's going to be awesome. And just in case you're a guest with us tonight, almost done, just in case you're a guest with us tonight, we want to, we want to let you know we are so thankful that you're here, I want to challenge you To come next week, and I want to challenge all of you to bring your friends next week because I'm going to be talking about the Bible and the truth of the Bible, and I'm going to be answering all of the major questions that people ask about whether the Bible is true or not. That's going to be next week. It is going to be amazing, amazing, amazing. So make sure you come next week. And so... Without further ado, if you're a guest with us, we're we'll going to invite you back next week. Your friends don't have to invite you. If your girlfriend brought you and y'all break up, you can still come. You, <laughs> you, you're home now. Um, and uh, I want to show you, if you haven't seen this real quick, I want to show you guys real quick our Dig, uh, Dig trailer so you can kind of see what's going on at Dig and then, uh, then we'll dismiss. Let's check out the video.